Welcome to Hashtag Travel Talks. It's your podcast on the latest digital trends in travel and tourism marketing. And here's your host, Nolly Nicholas. So welcome to a new episode of Travelcast. And today I receive Gwen Miller. Welcome, Gwen. Thank you. And Gwen, can you tell us more about you? Uh, again, my name is Gwen Miller. I am uh, the VP of Content Strategy at Kin Community, which is a digital entertainment company. Uh, and I really specialize in finding best practices for digital video and how to market yourself in the digital video space. Thank you. So last year you spoke at the VidCon 2017 about the data. So maybe I would say give more, I would say more info. You talk about how to build a corporate culture of data. So can you tell us how can it be related to the travel industry? Yeah. So uh, the, the speech I gave last year was really about no matter what corporation you have, If you're in the digital video space or doing any sort of digital marketing, marketing, how do you make sure that everyone in your business has ownership over the data? Uh, because for me, my background is strategy. Like I'm not a data scientist and I'm a firm believer in this uh, industry that everyone in your, um, in your company Uh, doesn't need to be data scientists. They need to have ownership over the data down to your marketing department, to your accounting department. Everybody needs to know how to use the data to best optimize their part of the business. Uh, for the travel business, I think it's especially key. Uh, I've worked with a lot of travel channels and it, it, it's an especially tricky part of um, digital video, in my opinion, because It's, it can be some of those most powerful video that you will see online, or it can be some of the most boring. Like, it's very interesting. It's, it, it's one of those uh, parts that can go either way. Like, if it's a two-one extreme, it can just really feel like, oh, this is like, you know, bad vacation photography. On the other end, you just see some of the most inspiring and uplifting content is travel content. And sometimes what I find and what I love about this business is it's hard to tell which is which, which is where your data comes in. Because sometimes you'll be surprised. You'll be really surprised. You'll put something together and you're like, oh, I don't know. This isn't my best work. I don't know if people are going to like it. And it goes up. And if you look at your data, it actually turns out that people really connected to perhaps they felt it was more authentic, not so glossy. But then there's been other things that I've put up, which I'm like, oh, my God, people are going to be blown away by this. And people are like, no, this is boring. So the real key is, If you're putting together any sort of travel video, uh, learn what tools each platform gives you to really understand what your audience is connecting to. I always say data is your audience talking directly to you. It just happens to be in code. So you have to learn how to read the code so that you can listen. And this is true across every industry, but I think it's especially true in the travel industry because it's very important to learn those moments and those beats in your video that people are really responding to. So figure out what platform you're on, figure out where the retention graphs are, and just spend a lot of time marinating in how your audience is reacting to your content. And do you think also that 
data, it's a good way to, I would say, avoiding the guesswork. The, for example, I put a video and I guess that the video is working well. So do you think also the data, it's a good, I would say, indicator? I definitely think it's an indicator, but you have to know how to read it. Um, you have to know who your core audience is. Um, I, I like to use an example where uh, <laughs> I, I worked with a channel who was really keen about getting into, like, she wanted to be a social media guru, uh, which is a great area. She made some great videos, but then occasionally she'd throw in a video that was like a Justin Bieber reaction video. Well, if you just looked at the views, right? If you're just like, the only metric I care about in life is views, like then she should have quit being a social media guru and just made Justin Bieber reaction videos all day long. But when you actually looked at the other metrics in there, like subscriber growth, what was actually bringing people to stay? Like those Justin Bieber fans weren't gonna stay. They just were going through this black hole of Justin Bieber reaction videos, but they weren't really worth much long-term they weren't going to stick around and watch any more for content. So that's what I say. You need to have a holistic picture of, um, of your audience and what metrics you're going to use, not just being like views is the only thing that matters, else you're just going to be uh, chasing viral hit to viral hit. And the type of people who come for viral hits don't tend to subscribe. And if they don't subscribe, they're never going to become loyal fans. If they're not loyal fans, that content isn't worth selling to brands or converting to anything else that you want to convert them to. So I always say, look at it, look at, look at a combination. Yes, I also say the views are still important. Like some people are like, don't look at views at all. No, it still does indicate when something is resonating. I just say, hey, make sure if you're on a platform like YouTube, they make it really easy. You can split your views out by unsubscribe people and subscribers. Make sure that no matter what you put up, the subscribers love it. If you, uh, if you sort by subscriber views and they're actually coming in at less than average, I don't care if you got all sorts of new eyeballs coming in, do not put up more of those videos. You should always put your audience first. And if your audience is happy, that will give you sustained growth and sustained success of the channel. So you talk about audience and uh, what do you think is the, would say the good KPIs to pick if you need to, I would say, see if your video is working or not? Um, so the things I like to look at are subscriber views. That would probably be my number one. I want to see what my subscribers are really uh, reacting to. Uh, retention would be the second one, I would say. Like, how long are people getting through a video? Like, so videos that get people get stay around longer um, and tend to have more above average engagement, those are the ones where, because otherwise, especially on YouTube, like, yeah, otherwise it's just click through. How many people click on your video? No, you want them to stick around. You want them to watch and become engaged with you. So I would say subscriber views, number one, retention, number number two. Um, uh, then probably, yes, unsubscribe views. You do want new people coming into your videos. If you don't have at least one video a month, where a significant amount of people, new people, come in and watch your video, then you're never going to grow. So every single video doesn't have to have a lot of unsubscribe viewers, but you need to make sure at least one a month does. And then the final thing in that kind of four of my most important data points is how many of those actually convert to subscribers? Because that's very key. 
if you're getting a lot of new eyeballs in, but they watch you and they don't like you and they don't hit subscribe, you have a basic problem. So looking at that conversion rate to people who come in uh, and then to, uh, to the people who stay can really help you start to see what type of content works for you and what type of content does not. And uh, from your experience, do you think which kind of, would say, content is working as a video platform? Oh, which type of, which platform is working or which type of content? Oh, which content, which uh, type of content? And it's specific to the travel world? Yes. Okay. In, in, the, in travel, here's what is really key that I find. You have to be able to enjoy it without ever intending to go to the place. So I tend to find things that are like the 10 best bagel shops in whatever, you know, city don't tend to perform as well because most people are never going to be able to go to that city. Mm -hmm. But if you put a little more storytelling into that, and it's more of an Anthony Bourdain type of thing where you're more vicariously living through him, that works really well. You just have to be very careful that you have to sit back and look at your content and be like, if this person never had a chance to go to Tokyo, would they still feel like they were in Tokyo and get good, you know, have a good experience with this video, even if they never intended to go to the city. That is probably the number one thing in travel mistake I see in travel content is when it's really just an insider's guide. And frankly, out of the world, not that many people can afford to, or have the luck to be able to afford a lot of travel, but they still want to be able to live, live vicariously. Make sure your content is designed for them as well. Okay, so I would say storytelling is the main, I would say. Yes. It's the main thing to think before, also to find, uh, I would say, define the audience in which we want to target also. Yes, that's also very important. Um, this is something that, of course, is a lot easier once you start to put up content and actually have your analytics to see um, what type of person is actually coming in. But it can, it, it can very definitely affect the type of content you put up if you know that you're, you know, the people who tend to like your content are males 18 to 24 who like adventure content. Maybe you're going to double down and do the more dead and super tramp type of travel content where you're doing something exciting. But then you might actually be like, oh no, if people who like my audience tend to be women 25 to 34 who really want more of the, you know, more of the kind of story travel content where they're hearing uplifting stories about the people in the country. Like it can really help hone what type of content you put up. So, um, talking about analytics, which I would say, which tools do you recommend? Except I would say the YouTube platform and um, Facebook Insight. But do you have any and other tools that can be also useful? Definitely, I will say about the, do never underestimate the CMS platforms like YouTube and Facebook because they give you a lot of powerful insights. And there's a couple of places in the in there that you might not know how to look. So if you have um, channels, uh, you obviously know how to go into like your YouTube analytics, mm -hmm. but you may not know that if you go into AdWords and you, if you have any sort of remarketing list set up, those give you additional like sales insights into the buying habits of your audience. So that is an, an amazing resource. Same with Facebook. If you happen to have Facebook business manager, if you're set up that way in Facebook, there is a section called Ad Insights, 
which gives you like psychographic data and like household data about your audience that you may not know about. So there are some additional things and always keep an eye on these platforms. They're always releasing things and they will never tell you. You just have to poke around until you find them. <laughs> but that said, outside of the what the platforms give you, even though it's really robust, some of uh, the tools that I have found very useful, I think the number one tool for me is Tubular Labs. Um, it's really designed for this industry. There's a lot of other tools out there, like I use Comscore. Nielsen has a new product out. Uh, but what I really love about Tubular is it's A, not as expensive as those tools, and uh, B, it's really designed just for digital video, which can actually be a little problematic if you want to do something a little broader, like social listening across platforms. But if really what you want to know is how do I improve my digital video, you cannot really get a better, better tool than Tubular um, because it's very specifically designed for video across. I think right now they track Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitch. They used to do Vine. Rest in peace, Vine. <laughs> Not anymore. Um, but they've, they've added in uh, Twitch since then. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, it's a really robust tool to look at cross-platform video performance, which, which can be very helpful and can also help you. They have a bunch of metrics that will help you benchmark against competition, which is something that obviously you can't do within your own CMS. Okay. I was asking, concerning about uh, Twitch, because uh, mostly it's used for, I would say, video games. But do you think there is a way to use it as a marketing platform? It's interesting because I've been having discussions with Twitch and they are trying to expand past just being video games. So they kind of have an, uh, an other section now, uh, which is actually getting interesting. I've been keeping an eye on it. Uh, it's obviously not as robustly attended as the video game side, but it's also not as competitive yet. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you go in there, there's a lot of like art and DIY. Like I have not actually seen anyone attempt travel content, but I think if it was a very artistic type of travel content, um, it could really work um, on Twitch. Uh, it would be something really interesting to try, it could, especially since no one has really done it. It could be a good stunt to do, right? We're the first company, this, uh, I'm an ex-travel company. We're the first company who's live streaming travel around the world. Come join us as we travel the world. Mm -hmm. uh, again, whenever you're the first to something, the problem is you, it's probably not going to be like the most, you know, like there isn't that big of an audience there yet. But I think there could be some value of, of, of being the first. Do you think it could be used, for example, if I am a um, ski station in Switzerland, maybe I could film some people who love to do extreme sports and put it on Switch? Oh, totally. Like if you have any sort of like ski competition, mm -hmm. like what I would say with Switch, like I wouldn't say it would be easy to like, I'm going to set up a live camera and it would be on a ski hill and just maybe someone will occasionally like ski down. That's not quite what Twitch is designed for, but if you had like a ski competition going on, like we're gonna live stream this Swiss ski competition, that is something that I could see having worldwide appeal. Yeah, especially you can target, I think Twitch is more, I would say, targeting, I would say young people. I don't know exactly the age, but also it's a good way to reach that, I would say, those people in that age also. I would agree. Uh, also keep in mind it skews highly male. So you're probably looking in your right, it skews younger. So I would 
probably assume going in that you're probably going to be targeting males 18 to 24. Yeah. So now, so I would say, I would ask a more personal question is, what was your most memorable travel that you did? Oh. <laughs> That's a very interesting question. One of the most interesting ones that I think I did was a combo business trip um, where it literally was 72 hours long. And I managed to stick in like the flight across because I live on the west coast of the United States here, people. So to get to Europe is a, is a long schlep. So in 72 hours, I managed to get to Amsterdam, um, like do an entire work conference and still have time to like thoroughly explore downtown Amsterdam um, and get out in 72 hours. That's one of my most proud moments of like, you know, efficient travel planning. I'm one of those people who likes to plan everything. Uh, so that for me was like my proud pat on the back that I did everything in one trip. Um, whereas if you're just like, I also did a trip to Mexico once, which was like this more relaxed, long thing, where I was able to hit like all, like I'm one of those historical travelers. I want to see every historic point along the coast. Okay. And I was able to do that in a week. But I'm almost more proud of being able to do the, the whirlwind version of Amsterdam in 72 hours. Then, yeah, anyone in a week can hit every historical point. But in 72 hours, I was pretty proud of myself. Okay. So maybe when I will do a um, conference in Switzerland, I will try to invite you so you can... We'll, we'll see how much stuff we can stick into a short period of time. Yeah, also. <laughs> so... Uh, so, Gwen, thank you for your time. And uh, how can I reach your internet or internet? Well, if you want to check out um, what my company does, go to kincommunity.com uh, and you'll kind of see a lot of the, the different stuff that I have been working on over the years. And if you happen to be a book lover, my personal hobby on the side is I, uh, I review books. You can just search for the Gwendolyn Reading Method okay. um, on Google, and you can find me across all the major platforms—YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Okay, I have to ask, what was your latest reading? Oh, I am reading right now *The Count of Monte Cristo*, oh. which, like, which is my second French book in a row. Which, because I just finished *Les Rob. <laughs> with looking back, I'm like, okay, did I, I should I should I have done? I should have switched countries, like. Two 900-page French books in, in, in one year might be a bit much, so early records do indicate that I do slightly prefer The Count of Monte Cristo over Les Mis. Yeah, Edmond Dantes. <laughs> much more adventure. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe the next one will be The Three Musketeers? <laughs> I should. I should just read every French book I can get my hands on in like the next 10 years. Okay. So uh, I wish you good luck for your next reading and it was a pleasure to have you in my podcast. Thank you for having me. And uh, see you by next time. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you. Bye.